morning, church. Uh, today's passage is Psalm 102. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are uh, some Bibles in the back at the welcome table. Feel free to grab one. That is our gift to you. It's a real gift. That's where I got my Bible, so it's, uh, it's legitimate. Feel free to go, go grab one. Psalm 102 is the passage today. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All of the day, my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come, for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked down at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, it's good to, uh, good to see you all again. Uh, good to be back with you. If, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, just continuing to fill in for our lead pastor, Jake, as he's uh, wrapping up sabbatical. They just got back from, uh, from some family vacation yesterday, uh, and um, yeah, so uh, next week, uh, Dustin Ratsliff, one of our elders, will be preaching, um, and so uh, this is my, 
dressing up. I've had several people be like, oh, you dressed up today. I'm like, man, do I really look that sloppy all the time? <laughs> and so this is me dressing up for, uh, for my last time with you for now. Um, but man, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'd love to say that I was excited uh, uh, about this psalm. Um, and, and I am in, in a lot of ways, but, but I'm also uh, a bit trepidatious just to confess because uh, I know uh, I know what we've, we have walked through. I know what uh, several of us are walking through right now. Um, and, and, and so uh, I, I know the, the psalm today and the message and, and God's word can, can be hard. And, and I know that it can, uh, can really sting. But, um, but I think the Lord has great beauty in it for us. Um, and so uh, with that, I, I am, uh, I'll say, trepidatiously excited um, to get into this. And so... Um, yeah, so, so today's Psalm, uh, Psalm 102, which we just heard, we're, we're really going to see, uh, or, or we have just seen, a, a real-life response um, to really the human experience of, of suffering and of brokenness, All of the world, of the situation where the psalmist finds himself. And, and again, we see him walking through some sort of hardship or, or some sort of situation where he doesn't know uh, how things are, are, are going to play out right there in that moment. But there's, uh, there could be fear, there could be sorrow. There's, there's so many things that we're seeing here. And, and once again, we see him in earnest prayer running to the Lord. We see it right out of the gates. He's running to the Lord, his shelter and his refuge. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, about when uh, we walk through things like this, things like grief, things like uh, e even depression and suffering, anxiety, and, and we're going to turn and, and talk, as there is a turn in this psalm, we're going to talk about the hope that we have in those things. Because it's not that the hope takes everything bad away right now, it, it, it's the hope that, that one day it will, that a one day Christ will turn our mourning into dancing. It'll turn our sorrows into joy. And so Psalm 102 is laid out in a similar fashion to Psalm 13 that we heard earlier, where it, again, it begins with this crying out to the Lord. It's a complaint to God uh, about something going on and it's being brought before him. And, and then we see the psalmist reminding himself. There's, there's this turn where, uh, in, in verse 12 where the, where the psalmist reminds himself of who God is, of what he said that he will do, of who he is, what he's done. And, and, and he reminds himself of this. And so it's funny, I, I was reading uh, a Spurgeon commentary uh, this week, and I loved the way that he described it. He, he described this psalm as a day that starts out with wind and rain that clears up at noon and is warm with the sun, continues fine with scattered showers through the afternoon, and finally ends with a brilliant sunset. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of what the Lord is telling us in this. And so we, again, we, we, we just heard Psalm 102, and hopefully you noticed the shift in tone in 12, but, but the first 11 verses are just chock full with grief-filled, sorrow-laden, captive, uh, depression-captive descriptions of what the psalmist is experiencing. And so we're going to start where he starts, and we're going to walk through uh, these 11 verses, and we'll, we'll start by looking at the first two verses, and, and, and throughout the day, throughout all of this psalm, I really want us to learn uh, kind of three things that the Lord put on my heart for this psalm, uh, and we're going to see the first one in these first two verses. 
So verse 1 and 2, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. And so again, this, this, psalm, the, uh, this psalm starts with the author going to the Lord with his distress, with whatever he's experiencing. He's running to the Lord because he knows that he has the Lord's ear. He knows that he has it. And so that's the first thing I want us to see is that we have God's ear when we pray. And oh, that we might believe that more and more. I mean, truly believe that more and more as we continue to grow. Because imagine, man, imagine how much more frequent, just imagine how much richer, how much more our earnest our prayer lives could be and can be as we continue to grow and believe this truth. Now think about how easy it is to talk to a friend or to Allison or, or just uh, uh, Jake even. He's my friend too, but a coworker is what I was gonna. Uh, I think about how easy it is to talk to a friend or a spouse or a, uh, maybe your parent when you're walking through something like that. And, and man, God is good and right to bless us with the good and right and holy gift of community for us to be able to walk with one another and long suffer with one another. But I, I think that sometimes we're quicker to take our troubles to our community and to other people than we are to take them to the perfect Father who loves us and cares for us. And again, it's not that community's bad. It, again, it's a good and right and holy gift, but just like any other good and right and holy gift, it, it's that tangible expression that God hears our prayers, that God wants to talk with us. It's that reminder that he is the one that we can run to. And I know sometimes that I, I can struggle in prayer. I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I can struggle in, in prayer or in taking things to him because I, I, I lean so heavily on human interaction a lot of the time. Like I'm pretty relationally driven. And, and so there, there'll just be urges. I'll just be driving sometimes and I'll, I'll wanna talk to somebody. I wanna call somebody. Sometimes a name pops in my head and I'll reach out to them. Sometimes it's just, I don't know who, I just, I'm like, oh, I wanna talk to somebody. And so I really have to work to kind of grab those feelings and, and take, to, take those to the Lord. And, and seek those times out and, and really try to, to pray through those things before picking up the phone. Uh, and, and it's hard because I've always heard, oh, well, talking to God should be just like talking to a friend. And, and then when I pray, sometimes it just doesn't feel like that, if we're being honest. Uh, so I don't know if you feel that way, but sometimes I can get discouraged in that. And if we can just be honest in here, can we say that sometimes it is hard? Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes I don't even know what to say. Sometimes I struggle to even believe that my prayers are making it past the ceiling. But as we continue to grow in our understanding of who God is and what that means for us as his children, we are his sons and his daughters. If we have been saved by Jesus Christ, we are his children and we can push through those struggles and we can lean into trusting that he is a good father that wants to talk with us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to know like, the, the relief that, that uh, or he doesn't know, he, he wants to hear from us. And, and I, we know often and so often seek out the, the relief that we get from sharing with someone. And, and, and again, a good and right gift in confession and in community in that way, but but man, that pales into comparison to knowing that we have the sympathetic ear of the God of all comfort. 
I said, we got to run to him. I, I think about it th- this way. The other day, my youngest son, Levi, was playing video game. And in, in this game, you could have, like, pet dogs. So, we, of course, he had, like, eight of them. Uh, and and he, had, he, he had just created one of those dogs. I mean, literally, you don't have to buy it, anything. You just create the dog, and it's like, boom, there's a pet. Uh, and so he, he had created uh, one of them that day, and one of them ran away or got away something. And, and I'm telling you, he was distraught. I mean, just so upset. A dog that that day he had digitally created really upset him. And, and as his father... I tried to take advantage of the opportunity. I tried to slow down, and I, I didn't correct him. I didn't, uh, I didn't get on to him. I didn't tell him to chill out or just to make another one because, after all, it's just a video game, and it's not real life, blah, blah, all that. And I, I, I picked him up, and I put him in my lap, and I held him, and I said, I'm so sorry, buddy. And, and then he, he began to start expressing how much that dog meant to him. And, and, and why he couldn't just create another one because it wouldn't be the same dog. It wouldn't be the same. Just, it wouldn't, a replacement dog just wouldn't do. It wouldn't be the same. And, man, our dog in real life, Lucy, is 14. And so if a digital dog created this much <laughs> discord, man, we're in for it. But, but the point is, man, that, that hurting, that sadness, that sorrow... I could see past it, right? I could see everything that in his life that's, that's kind of more important than that, but, but that sorrow was so real to him. That grief was so real. And to have uh, the opportunity to just hold him and tell him I loved him and listen to him, I mean, it was a sweet gift. And that's how it is. The point of this is that God cares about you and that you have his ear any time of the day or night. You don't have to clean yourself up or you have the right words or even talk about sadness in context. Like he didn't even say, I know it's not a real dog, but no, he just was upset about that. He just came as he was. You don't have to have the right words or even any words, really. You just have to go to him and he'll wrap his arms around you and listen. Man, let's ask him to help us believe that more and more, right? And so the second thing I want us to see here as we move on to verses 3 through 11, the second thing I want us to see is that hopefully it'll just be a reminder and nothing new, but uh, something that Jesus himself said, that in this world you will have trouble. And before we jump into this, uh, I just want to say something. that it, it, This might be... Uh, what we're about to talk about it might be a bit of a correction. I don't know what your background is or how you're coming in here today, but, but um, it, it was a correction for me because of what I've experienced and what I've heard. But, but maybe you've heard this, that, that just because, uh, or, or that Christians can't be depressed. Uh, and and, and just, just because you are a Christian, that doesn't mean you can't experience depression or that you shouldn't experience grief in, in large chunks. I say that, and it might be a correction, because one, we're literally seeing grief and possibly even depression play out right here in what the psalmist is talking about. And then two, again, in my experience of battling anxiety and depression. And so, I'm, and I've heard some outlandish things, if I'm being quite honest. Why don't you just pray more? Or are you not casting your cares onto him? 
Well, if you take medicine, that means you don't trust God. And I want to be very clear here, man. Sometimes Christians can struggle with mental health, and it has little to nothing to do with them not trusting God enough. Many of you know that I've struggled with anxiety the majority of my life, and, uh, and, and when it's left unaddressed, it can slip into depression. And um, I've only known kind of that's what it was, you know, in the past kind of five, six years-ish. Um, and in that time, I've, man, I have prayed about it. I have read the scriptures. I have gone to counseling. I've walked in community. I've used exercise to try to management. Now, have I prayed about it perfectly? Of course not. Have I found solace and, and read to the scriptures uh, and, and run to the scriptures and found solace in them every single time? Man, I wish. I wish. But is God punishing me because I haven't done those things perfectly? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, hey, clean yourself up and, and then you can come to me. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is come to me as the mess that you are. Because Jesus was punished instead of me. And so anything I walk through now, as we talked about last week, is the loving and sanctifying discipline of God himself to his children. And similarly with grief. The Bible is explicitly clear, could not be more clear, that we experience grief. And, and particularly that, that we experience grief and walk through grief with hope. Now, again, that hope doesn't just gloss over everything and make everything go better. In Psalm 13, when David was crying out, and then the last little bit when he, when he says, but I will trust in your unfailing love, that didn't make the first few verses go away. He's still there. We grieve with that hope. Because just glossing over it and saying, well, God's good, that doesn't make everything just hunky-dory. When we're walking through and experiencing loss, miscarriages, infertility, faithfulness, unfaithfulness, whatever it is that we walk through in suffering and sorrow, however it is, we know that it is not punishment. Again, as we discussed last week, it's, it's the Lord's love and care to sanctify us. So let's get in, we'll, we'll start again in verse three. For my days pass away like smoke. Again, he's acknowledging what we've talked about in the past couple of weeks. We've seen that man is finite and his days are numbered like the morning mist that's gone by the afternoon. And my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I mean, reading the, about how the psalmist is describing his life right here, it, man, it resonates with me on a deep level. And maybe it does with you. Maybe your situation's similar to mine, or maybe you read this and it reminds you of a season of grief or mourning. Again, maybe you are walking through that right now, as I know several of us are. But have you ever been so distraught that you've forgotten to eat? We see that that's, that's where he is. 
Many of us know that feeling. Forget to eat, and then it just kind of perpetuates this feeling of weakness and brokenness because we're not getting the sustenance that we need. And then it just keeps having you, um, keeps you from having energy, uh, get up and do even just simple acts of daily living. What's just on and on and on again kind of keeps pulling you down. And this is where the psalm's being written from. He's in agony, and he's crying out to the Lord here. Now, for me, when, when my anxiety, uh, although my brain's broken and, and there's not a bunch of, or there's, there's levels off, but when my anxiety becomes sin uh, it is, is when I don't even try to fight it. I don't go to the Lord as he is in this state. Like I, when I just kind of sit there and wallow, because it's honestly just easier to sit there and feel sorry for myself than it is to do anything else. I don't cry out to him. I don't, I don't pray to him. And again, please hear me. Some of us actually, we, we need medical help to even see that there is a way out of that pit to fight. You know what I'm saying? Again, my, I, I need medicine to kind of fix the brain levels in order to fight. But even with that, I'm still often tempted to stay in it. Grief can be like that too. We could be tempted to stay in it too long after we've been in a season of, of mourning where we, where we just can't bring ourselves to remember or, or even just flat out refuse to believe the, or accept the outcome of whatever tragedy or loss that we've walked through. And man, that's where it can be tricky, right? When we're walking with someone through that because there's not just a cookie cutter response for grief and tragedy and suffering, right? There's not a specific timeline. But man, praise God for long-suffering community that bears with us in our sorrows. Amen. Yeah. The psalmist goes on to talk of his loneliness and his helplessness, his frailty and his finiteness. And he compares himself to a desert owl in the wilderness, a lonely sparrow on a housetop. And people are using his name as a curse, which only deflates him more. And he finally finds the strength to eat, and he's scarfing it down because he's so famished, but it's mixed with the ashes that he's used in the traditional mourning period, and his tears are still flowing. He complains to God that he's been picked up and thrown down, much like Job. And then he ends this section with verse 11, saying, my days are like an evening shadow, wither away like grass. And it's hard to notice shadows in the evening sometimes. He withers away like grass, and boy, we can understand that during the summer in Texas, can't we? psalmist is broken, distraught, feeling hopeless. But then it moves into verse 12, and, and we see this change in his tone because he knows that he won't be stuck in these first 11 verses forever. And so that's the third thing I want us to see here, that we have a promise that this won't last forever. Let's look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned. You are the king. You are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. And so what's he doing here? 
What's he doing in all of this sorrow and his bones clinging, or flesh clinging to his bones and he's hungry and not eating. He's sad, he's depressed, he's mourning. And what is he doing? He's worshiping. We see him pressing into the Lord and reminding himself that this will not last forever. He's petitioning God to arise and to come and do what he has promised to do. He's saying, God, come now. Come now, God, show yourself. Bring peace to my chaos. Bring your healing to my brokenness. You said that you would. Why not now? I need you now. I wonder how many of us have been in that situation. My guess would be most of us. And then he goes on and he talks about the honor that God will receive when he comes. That nations would fear and know that he is God. And in verse 17, he reminds himself again that God hears the prayers of the destitute and he does not despise them. And then down in verse 23, through the rest of the psalm, we see another acknowledgement of God being eternal in us, not so much. He appeals to the God who is in charge of everything, of his numbered days even. The God who laid the foundations of the earth. The God whose years have no end. Trusting that he is in charge and his people will rest secure. And verses 25 and 27 are even quoted in the Christological passage of Hebrews 1. But, but I want us today to, as we remember that this isn't going to last forever, I want us to look and, and kind of camp out in, in 18 through 22. Because the writer here, well, let me read it. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. And so, again, we see the psalmist here, he's, he's banking on the fact, and he knows it's a fact that God will come through. So much so that he's writing these things down for people that had not even been born yet to worship God when they hear about his faithfulness in this and so many other situations of his faithfulness, of his power and his grace and his mercy, that as the old generation passes away and the new generation rises up and goes forward and so on and so on and so on, that God's praise would remain. Man, let's hear that again, what he, what he says that will be told to these people yet to be created, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked down at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Now, does that sound familiar to you? I hope that it does because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God himself looked down from his holy dwelling. That he saw us imprisoned by sin, doomed to die in our sins and eternally live under the wrath of God. But God 
the Son, the second part of the Trinity, wrapped himself in flesh and he stepped down into the mess to save prisoners stuck in their sin that were doomed to die. And this God-man, God the Son, Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, he prayed this in John 17. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not the world of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. And listen to this in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may all, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you know who Jesus is praying for there? You, you know who the psalmist was praying for there? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying and, and, and saying, we are the people that were yet to be created when both of these prayers went up. And listen, the prayers of, of the psalmist and of Jesus, they, they, are with, they were answered as generation after generation, after generation told of his great works, which means that somebody told somebody that told somebody and on and on and on and on that told you, that told me about God's goodness, about his grace, his great works so that we would praise God and be one with Christ and one with the Father through the Holy Spirit and so that God's glory and his fame may continue to spread throughout all the nations. And this is where we see what we're caught up in. In this life, we are caught up in a legacy of generations and generations of God's faithfulness to his people. And because of that, because of that, we can truly believe that we won't always be stuck in verses 1 through 11 of this psalm. Listen, God promises faithfulness. He doesn't promise that if we follow him that we'll be, we'll be rich or even comfortable or that we'll get all that we want in this life. But he promises he'll be with us. He promises he'll be faithful. He promises that he will make all things new when he comes back to dwell with his people forever. And Brothers, sisters, that is what we have got to hold on to. That, that's what we've got to understand when we are feeling stuck in verses 1 through 11. 
We've got to remember that, that one day we're going to look back and we're going to be able to say that, that all the heartbreak, that, that all the tragedy, all the loss, all the sorrow, all the despair, all the sadness that we have walked through and all of the wrongs that have been done to us will seem light and momentary compared to the fullness of joy that we'll get to experience forever and ever when we finally get to worship with all the faithful generations that have come before us and that will come after us. He makes all things new. And so if and when we find ourselves in verses 1 through 11, feel what you feel. Feel what you feel and take it to the Lord. Don't clean yourself up. Don't gospel yourself too quickly out of feeling what you shouldn't be feeling. Take it to the Lord. Take it to your Father who cares for you. Remind yourself of his promises to you. And remind yourself of how this all ends. We get to be with God forever. But even now, God is with you, Christian. He is with you. He is your refuge. He is your strength and your comfort. He is your promise of salvation and, and your promise of future grace that's yours right now, that we get to walk in right now. He's already purchased it. He's already won the battle. We're about to sing that very thing. So let's rest in his victory even when everything seems hopeless when it seems like the storm will never pass. Let's run to the God of all hope, the Father who loves and cares for us. Spirit, help us. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you I thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And Lord, as I've prepared this week and thought about what you want to show us in your word and through your spirit, <clears throat> Lord, I've been reminded of hardships. I've been reminded of things that I have walked through, been reminded of things that my family and my church family have walked through reminded of things that we're walking through right now. And Lord, reminded of times that I have prayed and, and felt like you were hiding your face from me. Felt like my, you were not letting my cries come to you. That your ear was not turned to me. But I thank you that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, I do have your ear, God, that, that you have never left, nor will you ever leave your people. You will not forsake your people. I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you as our good Father who wants to talk with us, who wants to hold us and say, I love you, I'm so sorry, but trust 
trust me. So, Spirit, I just ask that you would, in, in moments of suffering and seasons of suffering and grief or anxiety, depression, whatever we walk through, whatever we face, Spirit, I just ask that you would continue to comfort us, to guide us and direct us, and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith that we may worship you even in the valley. That's not possible without you, God. We need your help. Would you help us even now, God? We love you, and it's through Christ that we pray. Amen.